Amen. Well, you can go ahead and grab a seat. As you do, I would just invite you to grab uh, a copy of the scriptures. If you brought one with you, hopefully you did, uh, you can uh, pull that out now. If you do not have uh, a Bible, then we would love to uh, let you use one of ours. You can find one underneath the seat in front of you. If you don't own one, take that home. That is our gift to you. We're just glad you are here this morning. And to those of you who are joining us online uh, from afar, we're glad that you are with us as well. Um, I just got to comment on the fact that this is not you know, typical weather for Memorial Day weekend. Uh, many of us probably have some plans or at least hopes of plans, and uh, we're looking and trying to figure out you know, what kind of attire um, we uh, will be wearing for such plans. Um, but in that, you know, I just reminded Um, of what a blessing it is to be able to gather in this way. You know, last week we were reminded in the passage we were looking at uh, in uh, 2 Thessalonians that many many around our world do not enjoy the same freedom uh, that we do, the freedom to gather and worship, the freedom to uh, read, to preach, to study uh, God's word, and we do. And we um, wanna uh, thank God and honor the men and women who gave their life uh, for that freedom. And so um, what a blessing, what a reminder, just even as we're worshiping um, of what, what, a, what a joy that is, that we enjoy the freedom to be able to do this. And so I would just invite you to go ahead and take your Bible, turn to the book of Second Thessalonians. It's a little letter uh, that we have been working our way through. Actually, there's two letters, uh, the first and Second Thessalonians. Um, we've been in this series we're calling Living Hope. And we are reading these letters, working our way through these letters, studying these letters um, that were written to the church in Thessalonica. And uh, we now come to a section in the letter where Paul is sort of getting to the main reason, I believe, for this letter. Um, maybe uh, you can kind of relate to it in this way. Um, if you've ever uh, called somebody, do you remember calling people? I know we text a lot, um, but I, I'm kind of old school. I still like to call people. And uh, oftentimes, you know, when you call somebody, um, you usually have a reason for it. Uh, maybe not always. Sometimes, you know, if you, you're calling mom or something, you're just calling to kind of check in. That's sort of your reason, right? But a lot of times if we call somebody, uh, there's a reason why we're calling. And you might exchange a few sort of pleasantries. You might kind of check in and see, you know, ask about a couple things like, hey, how's that going? What about this? And then usually at some point in the conversation, there's that line that's something like, well, the reason I'm calling is right? And then you kind of go into the main reason, the main thing that you are calling about. Um, I want us to view the passage this morning that we're looking at in chapter two of Second Thessalonians as this. Paul is writing to the church there and he has uh, greeted them with his blessing. Uh, he has prayed over and for them. He's given thanks to God for them. He's encouraging them in their difficulty, right? In the trials, in the affliction. That's what we looked at last week. He's encouraging them, but then he kind of comes to this point here and he is writing to them with a main purpose and this is the main purpose. Um, I'm just gonna kind of sum it up for you. We're gonna walk our way through it, but the main purpose for Paul's letter here is they were kind of freaking out a little bit about the day of the Lord. Uh, Somehow there had been some teaching, some news, some miscommunication, some misapplication, whatever it might be about the day of the Lord, and they thought that they had missed it, that Jesus Christ had come back, and that had already occurred, and they were just sort of in this limbo period, and they're like, what is going on now? We missed it. And what Paul is writing is to calm their fears and to encourage them with the living hope of Jesus Christ to correct some 
misapplication, some misunderstanding, uh, some confusion that might be there. And the main purpose of what he is writing to the church today is to give them confidence. He wants them to have confidence. We're, t- we're titling the sermon this morning, Do Not Be Deceived. Do not be deceived because they were deceived. And Paul is writing to say, listen, church, don't be deceived. Rather, have confidence. You can have confidence in some things because of God's clarity, his purposes, his revealing of what is going on. And I believe this, like we just sang, I believe that God has something for us here this morning, that he's going to teach us something, uh, that he's given us uh, this passage for our good, for our godliness, for his glory. I believe all of that. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God has something for us this morning? See, here's the thing. When you approach God's word, we, we, we believe this, that every word, every, every line, every paragraph, every sentence is given to us for our good and for our understanding, for our knowledge. And certainly there are some old, familiar, classic places we go back that are more sort of readily applicable, that are kind of more tangible. There's verses you've memorized or verses that have kind of carried you through seasons of life, right? But then there's others that are just good things for us to know. And sometimes these things may not be like the most pressing things upon us or maybe the thing that we thought we needed when we walked in here this morning. I recognize that. Because what Paul does is in talking about the day of the Lord, he's returning to some instruction around the end times. And we said before, when we looked at it in the first letter, that some of us, that is, we are like here for that. We are all about that. We want to know, like get out the charts, get out the graph, show me what's going to happen, right? And others of us were like, I, I just, I'd rather not, Spend the energy on that. And here's what I think God's word calls us to is a healthy balance of kind of both of that. We need to be about it. We need to understand what God has said. And we need to be careful that we don't take it further than what he said. And so we need to apply ourselves. We need to listen. We need to hear this morning. And I believe this, church, I believe that this passage for us this morning as Paul is writing to that church will also bring confidence for us in the way that we are living out our days here. Because the truth is this is that we are closer to the day of the Lord than they were, right? The day of the Lord is coming. And we need to know when and why and how and everything that God has said about that. Because he's revealed a few things for us. He's told us of a couple things. Why? For our confidence. That we would have confidence in him and his plan and his working. We don't want to take it further than what he's given, but we certainly don't want to miss that which he has given us. And so let me go ahead and give you this. This is the big idea that we're going to see this morning. It's this, is that the way that we wait for God to work reveals our confidence in him and in his plan. We are in this period, this season, this place of waiting. We are waiting on the Lord. We are waiting for his return. And the way that we wait, like the way that that looks, the the way that we treat these things, I mean, again, the church here, they were freaking out. That's not the Greek, um, that's just my interpretation of it, right? They were freaking out about this whole situation. And so the way that we wait for God to work, it reveals our confidence in him and in his plan. And that is the confidence that Paul wants to give to the church. That is the confidence that God's letter has for us this morning. So we are waiting on the Lord. Let's do so with confidence. Let's see why, how, where we get this confidence. Let me pray. Let's ask God to uh, instruct our hearts as we turn to his word now. Our God, we thank you for your sovereign plan, God, for your gracious working in our life. Lord, for the clarity with which you've instructed us through your word. And God, as we turn our attention toward it, 
Lord, as we just sang, as we just said, as we just declared, God, we are listening. We don't wanna miss, Lord, what you have for us this morning. God, from this passage, from this second chapter of this letter to the church in Thessalonica, Lord, we wanna hear from you. And so I do, I pray that we would have confidence, greater confidence in you than what we walked in with this morning. Lord, that you would reassure our hearts, that you would instruct our hearts. God, that we would learn from you maybe some things that we don't yet know and that we would have a greater confidence in you in what you're doing and the way that you're working. Lord, I pray that you will teach us now. We ask that your spirit would lead us and we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen. All right, well, let's jump into it. Uh, what I wanna see, what I wanna start with this morning is first, our source of confidence. We see here where our source of confidence in the Lord comes from. And we, uh, we've been called, we, we have the ability to have confidence in the working of God and his plan. Let's read and look at the passage together. Um, chapter two, verse one of 2 Thessalonians, it says this, now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? This is why I'm calling. I'm calling you, I'm writing you, right? Because of this. And are being gathered together with him. We ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed. Don't freak out. Either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seemingly from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Proclaiming himself to be God. See, this is the reason for the letter. And this is, while Paul is writing, so that they would have confidence. But where does that confidence come from? Well, it comes from several places. We see right here in this passage, there's, I think, many things that we could point to, but uh, there are four things that give us confidence. And I want to focus in on these things this morning. You see, because um, as we approach this passage, I just got to tell you, these are, these are words that pastors love to read as they get, sit down and study a passage during a week. Commentators say this about this passage, that it's one of the most obscure and sort of confusing passages in all of Paul's letters to the churches. And I read that and I'm like, awesome, that's great. Like we're gonna, we're gonna hit that and we're gonna get that done in uh, the, the 40 minutes that we have together. We're just gonna walk out like mastered knowing everything, right? Right, no. See, there is some obscurity here. Why? Why is it so obscure to us? Why are there some confusing parts? Well, it has everything to do with context in this case. Right? The, the, the obscurity or sort of the, the, the places where we feel like, I don't know if I have all the details is because of the context. So Paul, uh, he is writing to a church, to a group of people that lived in a particular place in a particular time, and they had certain experiences that he is referencing and writing to. So I have a quiz as we are approaching this. This stuff about the rebellion, this, this, this stuff about the man of lawlessness, here's a quiz. Is this Paul writing to them with new teaching that they've never heard before, or is he reminding them of things that they already know? Those are your two options for this quiz this morning, pop quiz. Is Paul writing to them with new teaching, or is he writing to them, reminding them of things that they already know? All right, with confidence, who thinks it's brand new teaching? Anybody? Okay, 
How about option two? He's reminding them of things that they already know. Raise your hand with confidence if you believe it's that. And uh, here's my trick. Option three, put your hand up if you're just waiting for me to give you the correct answer. Come on, own it. Yeah, own it. That's all right. That's half of you. Some of you didn't even raise your hand for that. You can't even own that. All right, here's the answer. He is reminding them of things that they already know. How do I know that? Um, Well, it's right there. I stopped reading. If you kept going in verse five, look. It says, do you not remember (laughs) that when I was with, still with you, I told you these things, right? And you know what is restraining him now, right? He's like, listen, when I was with you, I told you, I told you all about that. Do you remember? Do you remember us sitting together teaching? Remember we were over at, you know, Jason's house and we were unpacking that and you asked that question. I responded and I unpacked all of that. He's like, I told you, I already told you these things. You know, you already know what's restraining him now. He's reminding them of things that he has already taught and already said. That's why it's sort of obscure for us, right? We weren't there. We don't have those conversations. But we can still have confidence in God's word that he has everything, God has everything for us that he wants us to have here in this passage. There's nothing that's been left out, okay? There's nothing that we need to know that he has forgotten to tell us. Paul's already told them about these things. He's now reminding them So I would say this, this is how we're gonna handle this passage this morning. There are plenty of things that we don't know, but there are several things here that we do know with confidence. And here's the first thing. Our source of confidence is this. God has told us all that we need to know. God has told us all that we need to know. This is where our confidence in God comes from, is that he's told us everything. Right, Paul is doing that. He's reminding them. He says, do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? As you know, what is restraining him now? So that it may be revealed in his time. He is working. God is telling us. He's told us everything that we need. And listen, church, this is a good thing for us to remember this morning is God has not left anything out of his word. It has all that we need, everything that we need. Have you ever uh, gone shopping? Uh, those of you that are married especially, have you ever gone shopping for your spouse? I don't know who makes the list at your house. Um, I uh, Oftentimes, my wife both makes the list and shops because she doesn't trust in my confidence to um, you know, bring back what's on the list. Um, it's not so much that I, I leave things off, it's that I add things to it, if you know what I mean. Um, she is, you know, she forgets about snacks and some of those kind of things. And so I just need to fill in some of the holes, right? I'll never forget. We were talking we were laughing about this. I think it was this week or last week or something. Um, one of the very first times in our marriage. Okay. So picture like 20, early twenties, like we're, we're in, in our just brand new apartment. Like we're probably back from the honeymoon, maybe a few days or something. She makes a list, sends me to the store. Okay, honey, you know, go get these things. Right. And it was like, this is a sweet moment. And I come back. Um, with everything on the list. And I thought I had nailed it, right? I think in that time, you know, I hadn't really, there wasn't the confidence to kind of veer off the list. And so I stuck to the list, right? And on the list, it said butter, okay? So I thought, you know, there's not a way you can mess that up. I was wrong. You can. You can mess up butter. You see, uh, we discovered that we grew up in two very different households. Um, I grew up in the household that uh, still, remember, there was like a time in uh, not too long ago when butter was bad for you, right? And it was all margarine. Like that was what you're supposed to do. And then they said margarine was bad for you and it's supposed to be butter. Well, we had margarine in my house, okay? We didn't call it margarine. We called it butter. And so I had butter on the list. And so what did I do? I just bought margarine. 
And I came back with margarine and Bree's pulling all the groceries out of the bag and she comes across the margarine and she's like, what is this? Like she was offended. Now it might help to know she's from Dallas, okay? She grew up in Dallas, Texas, all right? So butter is not margarine, right? Butter is butter. And she's like, what is this? And I don't know if she's ever been more offended than in that moment. And I was like, that's butter. And she's like, this is not butter. Let's get something clear right now. Like, you are never to bring this into our home again. I think she threw it. Like, we, we didn't have much money, but that went right in the garbage. Like, there was no place for that in our home, right? I've never bought margarine since. I learned my lesson in that. But if you've ever shopped, right? You've ever shopped for your spouse, or maybe when you were a kid, mom gave you a list, or, you know, boss gives you a list, whatever it might be, you get a list. Um, you like to have confidence that that has everything in it, but how many times do you get this, that text that you're like, oh, we forgot something, right? Got to add it on. And, and sometimes there's multiple of those. Oh, can you get this? Especially at Thanksgiving or Christmas, right? When you're going, it's like, oh yeah, we need more of this. We need more of this. Get this, get this. You got to run back out. Here's the thing. I, go, I share all that. I say all of that to just illustrate this. There's nothing that God leaves off of his list for us and what we need to know and what we need to understand, okay? There's no confusion in it. He doesn't put things ambiguous, like say, you know, butter when he means butter, right? Like he, he, he's very clear about that and he understands. He's given us everything we need. And so the list is complete. The list is clear. The list has everything that we need to know. Why is that so important? It's this, is that we are not then shaken when other things come to be. When we're like, wait, what about this? Did God forget to tell us about this? Or did he count for this? Or is this that? How do we, listen, God is clear. He has given it. And so when he comes, he says, listen, concerning the coming of our Lord and our being gathered together, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed. By what? By a spirit, by a spoken word, by a letter. Paul, it doesn't even seem like he knows what has stirred them up. Like, was there some forged letter? He talks about it at the end of this letter. He says, listen, I'm signing this one by my hand. So you know that it's me, right? So is there some forged letter? Is there some uh, prophecy that's been sort of spoken? Is there some uh, teaching that's been circulating? Whatever it is, he's like, I don't know where you got this, but let's be clear about something. You do not need to be alarmed. You do not need to be shaken because God has told us everything we need to know. He's given it all to us. 2 Peter 1.3 says that his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and his excellence. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. What an encouraging truth for us this morning. If we want to know something, if there's something that God wants us to know that we need to know, he's made it super clear right here in his word. We stand upon the word of God as a church. Actually, there's been, over the last couple weeks, I feel like I've told this story multiple times. It just kind of keeps coming up. Do you know that literally, as a church, we are standing on the word of God right now? Our very first service that we had in this building, there was no carpet um, because uh, it was delayed for a week. We thought that was like an inconvenience. And then we realized, no, no, that's awesome because we had Sharpies all over the the chairs and we took time during our service and we wrote scripture all over the floor, okay? There are verses that we are literally standing on. This is our belief here at this church is that we are standing on the word of God. He has given us everything, everything that we need for life and godliness, okay? And we are committed to it. We trust it. We remember these things that God has told us. So no, we were not with Paul. Paul did not come and visit us or do these things, but we have something even better. We have the fulfilled and complete word of God. 
And so we know all that we need to know. And so we don't need to go running off to all sorts of places and trying to understand what's coming and what the future holds and searching in all these other places, right? Because there are places that we could turn to. Fortune tellers, psychics, palm readings, horoscopes, fortune cookies, whatever it might be. I say that because, listen, this is a real place that people are turning. I don't know if I believe this stat because it's so high, but there's a New York Times article that came out just a couple months ago, and it said that one in five Americans have sought a fortune teller. That seems surprisingly high to me. But apparently, uh, during the pandemic, like business for fortune tellers, for psychics, for all that is up. This is a quote right from the article. It says, if you look throughout history, whenever there has been some sort of upheaval or some sort of collective anxiety in society, interest in psychics has shot up. The reason is simple. People experience lack of control and anxiety, and we'd all like the pandemic to end, and without definitive answers from scientists, physicians, or elected officials, people are turning to more spurious, spurious sources for reassurance. Listen, listen, the world is trying to figure out what does this all mean? What's coming next? What can we have confidence in? What is it that, listen, we have the answer. God has given us everything that we need to know. And so we don't need anything added to this. We don't need anything that we're gonna um, look to beyond this, that God has given us his word and he is applying it to our lives through his Holy Spirit. We can praise God for that. We can have confidence in that, that God has told us all that we need to know. If God wants you to know it, he's given it to you. It's in his word. His spirit will show you, his spirit will teach you, his spirit will lead you in that. His spirit uses the word. The spirit of God has given us all that we need to know. See, we can have, our source of confidence comes from this, that God has told us all that we need to know. Here's the next place that our source of confidence comes. It's this, it's that evil is at work to deceive. You can have confidence even in the deception or seeing it, knowing that evil is at work to deceive. This is not something that is surprising or catching God off guard. This is what is happening. That's why in verse three, he says, let no one deceive you in any way, right? He goes on, look at verse um, uh, seven. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And when the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth, and will bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. You see, the evil one is working to deceive. Evil is at work. Satan and his followers are at work to deceive the world. Uh, God's word says that, that he is crafty and cunning, uh, that he is able, uh, pretty good at what he does, and he is seeking to deceive us. But furthermore, it's not just Satan and his followers at work, but it's us and the sin in our hearts, this sin that has entered the world, the sin that has entered our hearts that we choose by our own choosing to be deceived. That's why it says there that with all wicked deception, those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. This is the choice that we make in our hearts. We have chosen to refuse to love the truth. We've chosen to uphold lies, uphold falsehoods, turn to those and said, and in doing so, we have refused to be saved in that. 
You see, evil is at work to deceive, and we need to be on guard for that. We need to understand that not everything is true, not everything is good, not everything is right, right? There are plenty of falsehoods, plenty of things that are working against the ways and the uh, decrees of God. And this is the world that we live in. Evil is at work to deceive. So why, do, why does that give us confidence? Why would, I, why would that be a source of our confidence? It's this, is that we're not caught off guard or surprised when we see it happening. When we see that people are deceived, when we ourselves are tempted to believe lies and believe deception, we shouldn't be like, think that God has somehow lost his grip on things, that he is in less control than he was. No, in the deception, we can be confident in this, that evil is at work to deceive, and he's allowing it. Do you see that there? It says, do you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. This lawless one, this rebellion, this is happening. There's already um, effects of, of this happening right now in our world and he is restraining it now. There's gonna be a day when he's going to loose that restraint, uh, that he's going to allow that free reign on our world there's a period of time and the end of times when that is going to happen and it's gonna be even worse than it is now, but there is lawlessness at play. There is um, his working happening here. Evil is working to deceive. So know this, know this is that not everything is pointing to the truth. There is not this one universal truth that everything is kind of pointing at, right? You have God's truth, the truth, and then you have things that are opposed to God's truth, the truth. That is how sin entered the world. You remember, remember the crafty one said, the serpent said to Eve, he said, did God really say? He was deceiving her, causing her to question, causing her to doubt what had been said by God so clearly. Evil is at work to deceive. Our source of confidence comes from this. Here's the third thing, is that God has a perfect plan. We can have confidence in this church is that God has a perfect plan. Do you know that all of this is part of God's plan? That's why Paul was able to say in verse three, let no one deceive you in any way for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. This is part of his plan. And so uh, what they were doing, right? The church there freaking out about the day of the Lord having already come. And he says, no, it hasn't come yet. Let me tell you why. Because there are a couple things that are going to happen first before the day of the Lord. And he refers to two kind of things. They might be sort of separate. They might be part of the same, um, the same event. It's kind of a complicated, a complex event. But either way, we know this, that one is the rebellion. So some uprising, some uh, co uh, coordinated attack against God, against his kingdom, against all these things, right? That the rebellion is part of this. And the second thing is this man of lawlessness. I think we can draw a line to uh, some other places in scripture where this is referred to as the antichrist, although Paul never uses that word here. He calls him the man of lawlessness. Says that there's go this man of lawlessness is going to be revealed. He's the son of destruction. He opposes and he exalts himself against every so-called God and object of worship. And he promotes himself to this place of prominence. He even takes his seat in the temple of God proclaiming himself to be God, right? He receives worship. He calls for worship. This is what this man of lawlessness is going to do, right? He says this lawless one will be revealed, verse eight, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing at the appearance of his coming. But the coming of the lawless one is about the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. And he's working to deceive. 
all right? This is all part of God's perfect plan. Listen, none of this happens apart from God's sovereign, perfect plan, this man of lawlessness. And what Paul is writing, the reason he's bringing this up is he's, listen, he's trying to encourage them, give them confidence and say, listen, there is an order to things that need to happen, right? So we know that the day of the Lord has not happened because this man of lawlessness has not yet been revealed. So you have not missed it. That has to happen first. I want to illustrate it this way. Um, you know, I have, many of you know, um, we have five kids, my wife and I, um, four of them are girls. And so there is a certain order to things that need to happen someday if some young man wants to marry one of my daughters, okay? Um, he needs to talk to me first, all right? If that happens, apart from um, <laughs> him talking to me, um, that man's gonna need some prayer, okay? Because uh, I, I have um, some things to say, uh, some interest of my daughters um, at work. Already, I cannot go to a wedding and watch that like, first dance the, the, with the, or the dance with the father of the, the bride and the bride. And already I'm like, oh, they're all gonna, uh, okay. Like, I'm, I'm like, I'm a mess. I'm just, I, I got these four girls, right? And I'm pretty protective of them. And there's an order to those things. There should be, right? I did it that way. I asked for my uh, father-in-law's permission before I married my wife, Bree. Um, my mother-in-law used that very tactic to throw her off the case. See, she was pretty convinced that like, the ring was coming, that, that the day that I was gonna propose was imminent. And um, she was talking to her mom, and I think her mom said something to the effect of, well, surely um, Dave would have talked to your father before that happened, right? And the way that she said it in such a confident way, like just threw brief for a loop because she was pretty confident that it had happened, but it sounded like mom just said that it didn't. I don't know that she actually did. Like, is that a lie that is like, over, I, well, we can dig into the theology of that later, okay? But she kind of threw Brie off, off the scent and said, surely, surely, right? Dave would have talked to your father before that happens. And so she was convinced that, oh, well, maybe not. Maybe it's not gonna happen right then. Maybe there's still some other things yet to happen. There's an order that has to happen. And so she knew, well, maybe it's going to be a little further off, right? I say all that to say this. That's what Paul's trying to say. He's saying, listen, there's an order. There's an order that needs to happen before the day of the Lord occurs. There's going to be these things. Now, we can dig into, and again, there's charts, there's, different, there's Christians that land in different places that the day of the Lord is actually kind of a, a, a multi-event that, that begins with the rapture and ends with his uh, second coming. Um, others would hold to that, that Christians will live through this, this man of lawlessness, this period of tribulation, and that uh, Christ is going to return and there's gonna be one uh, kind of second coming in that. Regardless of where you land on that, the point is this, is that God has a plan. He's got it all figured out, all right? We might miss it. We might not know exactly how it looks, but he does, and he's working in all of that. And so Paul is writing to them to say, listen, you haven't missed it. There's some things that, you, that are going to happen first. So for sure, you have not missed it. And God's plan is perfect. In all these things, God's plan is perfect. This coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan. Satan is going to use this man to wreak havoc and to lead many astray and to deceive many and call many to himself. Many will worship, many will follow, many will think that this is the Lord, but it is not so. And the reason for this is this, is that sinners cannot see beyond the sin that they are enjoying. And so in his sovereignty, what God is going to do is he's going to give them up to this truth that they, or give them up 
because they refuse to love this truth which he has made so clear to them. Sometimes people have a hard time with verse 11. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Listen, God is sovereign and he sees the hearts of men. He knows where they are headed. He knows what they are choosing and what they are doing. And so this work is giving them up to that. He's giving them what they want. He's not gonna force anyone out of that or away from that. He's doing that. And here's the thing. I think for many of us, we don't have a hard time believing that there is destruction waiting for some people, right? Because we can probably make a list of some people that we think deserves that. There's some big names that we would put on that list. Well, surely they deserve destruction. The problem is when we start getting like further up that list, like what, what are the names that get cut or don't get cut? What's the standard by which that happens? Listen, we're not God. We're not sovereign in this. He knows, he sees, and he will receive all who call on his name for salvation. He has made his truth plain and evident that all would receive. And I would say that to you this morning, that he is calling you to himself. He's calling you to respond and for you to believe, to not harden your heart toward that so that you would not believe what is false, but you would love that which is true, that you would receive the gift of life that Jesus purchased for you through his death on the cross. This is the truth of the gospel. And the people have rejected this truth and so therefore he's giving them up to it. God's plan is perfect and he is righteous and just in all that he does. And so listen, listen, Paul is not super specific on these things. There are so many things that we don't know here. He says in verse six, you know what is restraining him now. Does anyone know what's restraining him now? Like, we don't know exactly what that is. I mean, certainly God, like that's, <laughs> that's the Sunday school answer, okay? But like how, why? What is he using to restrain him now? We don't know. But they did, Paul talked to them about it. Like they knew some things that we don't know, but that's not the emphasis of what Paul is saying here. What Paul is saying here is God has a plan and it's gonna work out and you're not gonna miss it because he's going to play it out perfectly. We can have confidence in this church. And here is the fourth thing that gives us confidence. It's this, you ready? Jesus wins. Jesus wins. In the end, Jesus wins. Make no mistake, this is not some cosmic battle between good and evil and Jesus is gonna squeak it out in the end. The victory is sure, right? The end is confident. This lawless one that is spoken of here, it is a twisted and false version of the coming Christ. Christ is someday going to be exalted. Listen, it says this lawless one, right? He takes his seat in the temple of worship. The lawless one exalts himself. Christ is someday going to sit in the seat of the temple, yet this lawless one, he sits himself there. Christ is going to and has already worked through wonders and signs and visions, yet what does this lawless one do? He uses false signs and false wonders to deceive. Christ came to bring the truth. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Why does the lawless one come? Well, he comes to deceive and to lead people away. But make no mistake, the end of this lawless one, the end of evil is certain, it is sure. Do you see it there? Do you see it there in verse eight? And when the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Listen, Jesus has but to speak the word and it is over, it is done. Jesus wins, all right? 
Spoiler alert, Jesus wins. That is how it all ends. Jesus is victorious. He is seated on the throne and he is over and above all things. And we can have a confidence in this, that Jesus is victorious, justice will come, sin will be conquered, Satan will be defeated, and Jesus will reign on the throne forever. He's the King of kings, he's the Lord of lords, and he is the God over all things. And so Paul is writing again to the church and saying, listen, the way you wait, it's really important. It reveals the confidence that you have in God and his plan. And so don't freak out, church. Don't get all worked up. Don't be alarmed. Don't be shaken. Don't be quick to be shaken. Have confidence in this. In these things that God is working, there is an end that is certain, okay? So this is the source of our confidence, This is where our confidence comes from. This is why we as followers of Jesus Christ can be confident, but then how does that impact us? How does that change the way that we live? Well, Paul prays this for the church and I think it's so good for us. And so there's just a few things that I think is this. It's the result of our confidence. So we talked about the source of our confidence. Now let's talk about the result of our confidence. Because I said this, that the way that we wait reveals our confidence. So what does that way look like? How do we wait? Well, look at verse 13. It says, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the spirit and belief in truth. To this, he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. The result of our confidence in God is this. It results in us having a thankfulness for God's plan. We have a thankfulness for God's plan. We see that Paul was thankful, right? He's giving thanks to God for the work that he had done on behalf of these brothers that were beloved by the Lord. He says that God chose them as the first fruits to be saved. You see, we've said it before, but the Bible is super uh, not concerned with this, um, this kind of mix of God's sovereign working and our free will. You see both at play right here. Do you see this? God chose you, right? So God's sovereign working, choosing people to receive his salvation. How do they receive it? Through the sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth. There it is. There is our responsibility in that, that we are called to believe, to believe in the truth. And so Paul is giving thanks for the way that God had worked. He's thankful for the plan that had played out. Are you is the confidence that you have in God, does that result in a thankfulness in your heart? We've said it before, but we of all people should be most thankful. Who are we that God would choose us? Who are we that God would save us? Listen, we should be humble and gracious before the Lord because he has chosen to work in this way. And I promise you this, that God is at work in your life. He's pursuing you, he's chasing you, He's coming after you with his love, with his loving kindness, and you have but to receive and to believe. We are called to believe these things. He says, those who have believed in the truth. And so Paul is celebrating this, results in our thankfulness. Here's the second thing that results of our confidence is this, is that we can stand firm without alarm. It results in a standing firm without alarm. Man, I can't wait till we have a distant memory of this past year, 
right? <laughs> it's still, uh, still fresh because we're, uh, we're still in it. Um, but it shook a lot of things in our lives. And maybe, um, maybe not so much for you, um, but I'm telling you, a lot of the people that are sitting around you um, have been shaken this year. And uh, many, I believe many uh, uh, outside the church, certainly those, um, some inside the church were quickly shaken and were alarmed when all of this happened. And there was a lot of questions being asked, like, where is God? What is he doing? What, what does this mean for us? What, what, is, what is happening right now? Well, this is the prayer for Paul. He says in verse 15, he says, so then brothers, stand firm, stand firm. We can, with the confidence in God and his plan and his working, we can stand firm without alarm. It changes the path that we are on. It changes the way that we are trying to uh, navigate it and, and, and walk it. And um, it is different when we are standing firm and not quickly shaken in mind and not alarmed. Um, I would love to uh, kind of describe it this way. Um, you know, I, I keep seeing ads for that show Wipeout um, I have never really, I don't think I've ever sat and watched like an entire show, but somehow like wherever I'm at, I keep seeing these, these, these um, you know, little ads that pop up and they're always the same. Like there's these crazy obstacles, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? The show Wipeout? There's these crazy obstacles that these guys are trying to navigate and these gals are trying to navigate and there's like, you know, things that are coming out of the wall and like punching them and like all these, you know, things that are kind of rotating around. And the whole point is that like, it's nearly impossible to get through and they're like, you know, jostled and sort of um, gone about. And so here's the thing. I think that many of us would like to think of our path of following Christ, um, not like wipe, like, not like wipe out, but more like just kind of a, a casual stroll um, on a well-groomed path, um, you know, that, that is, um, <laughs> that is uh, you know, all, all kind of manicured and maybe has little rest stops along the way with, um, you know, uh, free snacks and bottles of water, whatever it might be. Um, and uh, that's kind of what we would uh, kind of hope for and, and go after. Let me tell you what God's word says. God's word says that our path in following Christ is not that, is not the manicured path and all those, you know, little kind of straightforward all there but it's not wipeout, all right? Like the ground is not shaking all the time. There's not these things coming out of nowhere. Like we have some knowledge of what's coming and it's going to take some work to get over. I think it's probably uh, more like, um, you know, some sort of uh, like sort of uh, low ropes type course or something or like, uh, you know, military um, kind of obstacle course or something like that. Like we have some challenges, right? There's some hurdles. There's some things that we got to get past. It's not going to always be easy. Certain things are going to like be challenging, but we're going to get through them easier than we thought. Some of those kind of things. Like there is some challenges that we're going to walk through, but we know right? We've been shown the map of it ahead of time. We've been taught how to do it. We have uh, people around us to kind of get us over and through this thing. It is not like this crazy wipeout obstacle course. And this is, I think sometimes, I think it's just the best picture of how I've, I've seen people in the church like sort of freak out and start to act. Like all of a sudden everything is turning and what does this mean? And how do I navigate this? And there's kind of these things coming from all the place. And listen, he's put our feet on solid ground, Right? What does it say in Psalm 23 that he leads you beside still waters? He leads you to pastures. He is your good shepherd. He is walking alongside you. He leads you through the valley of the shadow of death. It is not without its trials, but it is, there is a confidence in that, right? There is a surety in that, that we can stand firm without alarm. And so we cannot be shaken or quickly, quickly shaken in mind or alarm, church. 
we can stand firm. And here's the third result of our confidence is that we can hold fast to the word of God. We are holding fast to the word of God. This was part of Paul's prayer too, that they would not just stand firm, but they would hold to the traditions that were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by that letter. Paul says, listen, don't forget. Don't forget the things that we said. Don't forget the things that we wrote to you. Remember that first letter? Go back and read it again. Did you skip chapter four? Like I put a whole chapter in there. The end of chapter three, chapter four, chapter five, there's like, there's some good content in there. Hold fast to that. Don't, don't forget. And this for us, this is the very word of God. God has taught us through his word. And so we hold fast to the word of God. We hold fast to these traditions, which we have been taught through these letters, through God's spoken word written down for us. And I think we have to understand this, church, is that following Christ is not just about doing the things that he has told us to do, but following Christ is also about believing the things that he has called for us to believe. Do you understand the difference? I think so many times we focus on the things that we need to do. Like we, if we wanna follow Jesus, like we wanna walk after him, we wanna follow in the path that he's called us to do, we think that there's things that we have to do, actions that we have to take. It is that, there are some of those, there's things that, but it's, there's also beliefs, like some things that we've got to believe. And he cares about the things that we believe and the things that we disregard and the things that we hold up as truth and the things that we hold up as falsehood. And so he's calling us, he says, believe these things. Believe that I have a plan, believe that I'm working, believe that it is laid out, believe that it's going to happen in this way, believe. And that is how we follow Christ So our confidence, we believe. That's what he's calling them to do. He says, stand firm, believe, believe the word of God. And we need to not deceive ourselves in this. We need to know the word of God in order to believe the word of God. We need a steady intake of the word of God. I've said it many times before, but if this is your Bible intake for the week, it's not gonna be enough, right? I pray that God speaks through his word in our time together here some weeks I even give you a few bonus minutes, right? Run a little bit long, a little bit heavy. You're like, wait, and he's got a little extra for me today. But here's the thing, that's not enough. That's not gonna carry you. You need a steady intake of God's word in your life. It's not a box you check. It's not a chore that you do. It is your source of life. As food nourishes the body, as rain waters the grass, as a charging cable restores a depleted battery, so it is with the word of God for your soul. You need it. You cannot function without it. We deceive ourselves if we think we can. We need to hold fast to this word, hold fast to the traditions that God has given us through his prophets, through his writing them down for us. And here's the fourth thing. The result of our confidence is us letting God comfort our troubled hearts. We are able to let God comfort our troubled hearts. The way that Paul ends this little section, love this verse, this verse 16 and 17, this is his prayer of blessing for the church. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, right? Our Lord Jesus Christ himself, would Jesus himself do this? Would God our Father do this? He loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. What's he praying for? What's he asking for? This, that he would comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. This is the work of God in your life. Here is a promise, church, is that God will comfort your troubled heart. He will comfort your troubled heart. The question is, will you let him? Will you let him? 
See, it's not a question of will he. It's a question of will you let him. You don't need to cover your trump. You don't need to comfort your troubled heart. You don't need to establish your heart for every good work and word. That's God's job. He's going to do that. Will you let him? See, there is an allowing, there is a, a releasing, there is a giving up, a trusting, a following in this. You need to let God do this. And so your confidence in him, it allows him to comfort your troubled hearts. Is your heart troubled this morning? Are you freaking out? Are you quickly shaken or alarmed? Are you deceived today? I would say this, may the Lord, our Jesus Christ himself and God, our father who loved you and gave himself up for you, he gave you eternal comfort and good hope through grace. Would he comfort your heart and would he establish your heart for every good work and word? This is what God wants to do in your life. Our confidence in him allows him to do it. It's when we go off script, it's when we take the reins, when we take control, when we try and do it, that's when it ends up poorly for us. But when we actually follow him and we actually believe and we actually take these steps that he's laid out for us, he in fact, is the one that does. He comforts, he brings us to this place. And so this is what Paul has for the church here. And I believe he has it for us today. Again, the reason for Paul's writing was because, hey, you are in a place of confusion and freaking out. I wanna comfort your hearts today. Let's evaluate, let's check our own hearts. Are we in that place? Are we troubled today? Are we freaking out by things that we don't understand or things that we don't know? Has God already spoken in his word? Has he already told us? Well, let's hold fast to that. Let's hold firm to that and let's ask him to comfort our hearts as only he can. Let's do that now. Let's pray. God, I know that we are living through uncertain uh, times. God, on one hand, we are excited about uh, where we see uh, things going, where we see change coming. Um, but for many of us, it also um, is a place of confusion, hurt, pain from this previous year or years or decade. And God, so many times it's from our own understanding, God, our own striving, our own choosing, where we try and do things in our own power and by our own knowledge. And according to our will, Lord, we ask that you would change our hearts. God, would you draw us to a place of belief would you bring us to a place of confidence that we would stand firm, that we would hold fast? God, that we would not be shaken. We ask this, God, that you would comfort our troubled hearts. Lord, would you remind us today of the work that you accomplished through your son, Jesus, on our behalf? Lord, and that is where our confidence rises. God, you are victorious. God, you are reigning. You are working. The end is certain. Our future is secure. God, we trust in you. And so I pray that we would respond and know this afresh today. God, I pray that we would turn to you in every way, that we would give our all to you in every way, knowing that you are good, God, that you are working and that you are gracious. Lord, I ask that we would have a confidence in the future, a confidence of your return. God, you are coming back for your church. Lord, you will bring us with you to glory. God, you will establish your kingdom here. There will be a new heaven and a new earth in which you will reign forever. God, and we long to worship you in that way, on that day. God, we pray all of this. Ask that you would remind us and secure us in that. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen.